You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, and Alex Varallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Much appreciated from us. Uh, at the moment, it's myself and Dylan. Alex is questionable. Uh, we had a message from him a little while ago. He's not feeling so great. So he's going he's gonna to try to call in a little bit if he can. Uh, if not, me and Dylan will hold it down. We've got, uh, we've got Dennis Wozak of the Associated Press calling in tonight. Uh, good friend of the show. We've had him on several times. And uh, he's going to call in tonight and talk a little bit of draft. Uh, are you there, Dylan? And it would appear Dylan is not there, although uh, he just messaged me, said he's here, he's muted, but uh, he's not. Dylan, if you're there, uh, you're, I've got you here in the studio. You are showing up. You are showing up as a live mic. Uh, so let's hope this isn't one of those shows that has to get scrapped. Are you there, Dylan? That's not ideal. So let's see here. Um, Dylan, can you hear me? All right, well, Dylan's going to try to call back in and uh, and see if we can get this thing rolling. If not, uh, we'll we'll come up with an alternative plan but as of right now as i said myself dylan dennis Wazak's going to call in a bit a little bit later to talk draft and what are we down to folks eight days nine days single digits the draft is finally we're finally down to single digits on the countdown because i don't know about you guys and you know I, I say it all the time just every year it seems like the the time it takes to get from from the final day of the season to the draft Seems to get a month longer every single year. And let's try again. Dylan, are you there? I am here. All right. There we go, Dylan. Uh, awesome. Not sure what happened there, but uh, I connected about 30 seconds late, and uh, you were showing right away, but um, not weren't not coming through. But anyway, long. you're here now. We are, we're going to cover some draft stuff today. Thank goodness we're down to single-digit days until the draft is here. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it's, and it really seems, not only does it seem like it gets longer every year, but, um, at years like this, when you don't have a quarterback and it's just, you know, you actually, uh, sent out a tweet the other day, Dylan, and it reminded me, um, cause I normally make this point every year as a public service announcement. Um, and mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on that as well. Uh, and for those of you listening, uh, some of you may need to hear this. But it drives me nuts every year, um, and I, I'm sure I say this every year. Uh, there, there's more than one round in the draft. Yeah, because that's the one. Every year, every year, I see these fans. What do you mean take a offensive lineman? We don't have any receivers. What do you mean take this? We don't have that. Like, yeah, that's there's like there's seven rounds, and some years you have even more picks than that as is the case with the Jets this year. 
10 picks. All right? So this this crazy, like, we can't draft this because we need that. And especially in a year like this when you've got multiple, what are we, five, five picks in the top top 90 or 80 or whatever it is? Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, picks, the picks are there. The potential is there. And Joe Douglas, as far as I'm concerned, as much fun as it is to talk draft and the mocks are fun and, and I, you know, I'm doing them on TDN consistently uh, to pass the time. I get it. But I, I just, the more, I don't think I've ever been more convinced that a GM is going to trade down. I really, from, you know, from 23, I think 23 mm-hmm. or 34, I think you can take it to the bank that Joe Douglas is, is going to trade down with one of those picks. I think Joe Douglas, and I said this months ago, I think he wants to come away from this class with, with you know, 14, 15 picks. Because, listen, the Jets, they have that many holes that they could, they could use 15. Um, they're sitting on 10, and they've got two extras, or, you know, the one extra first and, and, and 34. Those picks have value, and I think he'll look to move down the same way he did last year when he moved down and and still ended up getting Denzel Mims. I think Joe Douglas will look to move down. I think he'll make 14 or 15 picks. And, you know, and even if it's a dozen, let's say it's a dozen. Let's say he picks up a couple extra picks and he makes 12 picks. Um, this is a question I meant, to, I, I meant to pitch to you, Alex. Or I meant to pitch to you, Dylan, and Alex. But Alex, obviously, not here right now. Because um, I was surprised. I, I pitched this on the... The forums at Jet Nation, which if you're not on, check them out. Go to JetNation.com. Join in or log in. Join the forums and uh, and join the discussions. And there's some heated, lively, fun, funny, you know, any number of ways oh, yeah. you wish to describe it, uh, debates on our forums. But I posted this question in there a few weeks ago, and a surprising number of people were like, that, that's ridiculous. You're an idiot. I mean, I'm, they always call me an idiot, but... You know, you're an idiot. There's no way I would do that. What are you thinking? And it really blew Mm -hmm. me away because the way I look at the Jets quarterback situation right now, and maybe it's just because I'm not a big Morgan fan, um, I view it as they have no quarterbacks. They don't have a veteran leader. Yep. They don't have a proven backup. They have nothing. I actually like Mike White more than I like Morgan. But in all honesty, that's probably because I was a big Mike White guy when he was coming out of Western Kentucky. Um, But – I'm looking at this quarterback situation and thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, whether it's Wilson or Fields or whoever it too, if I'm Joe Douglas and I'm sitting on 12 picks and it comes to round five, six, seven, I'm probably going to grab another quarterback. Um, and that, you know, as, as a day three pick that isn't, you know, not, not burning a resource and, you know, I'm not saying take a guy in the second, third and fourth, but take a guy in the first and then take another guy later. Um, you know, a guy who jumps out to me who I think would be good for, you know, an offense like this if it looks the way we're expecting it to, I like Shane Bouchelle out of SMU. Um, and I just mm-hmm. think that this this is a guy who uh, who can be that developmental. Cause, cause, because why, why shouldn't the Jets take another quarterback without a proven guy on the roster, without a proven backup on the roster? Uh you know, as I've said before, in years past, but you know, you know, of course, we thought Darnold was going to be the guy. But it was like take a guy every year till you have one, and and use a day three pick on a guy to develop somebody. So I would be in favor of that. But 
I would just like your thoughts on that, Dylan. I could, like I said, I couldn't believe how many people. I, I guess, I guess a lot more people than I realized are sold on James Morgan, um, which came as a surprise to me. But I pitched that question on the forums, and overwhelmingly, people were like, "No, no, there's, you don't get a second quarterback." And I'm thinking, "All right, if you got 13 picks, I would take two quarterbacks." Um, but you know, to each his own. But but Dylan, would would you would you consider an, another quarterback on day three? If you're Joe Douglas and you make some deals and you have 12, 13 picks? Uh, I I think it's definitely worth a consideration, especially once you get into the day three value of the quarterback. I like Shane Bichelle a little bit too. I haven't done too, too much work after like the top six or seven quarterbacks just because we don't think that the Jets will be in the market for any of those guys. But I absolutely think it's worth it. I mean, you look at a team like Buffalo, I know it wasn't the exact same draft class, but they just drafted Jake Fromm in the fifth round as just a developmental backup guy to Josh Allen. So if you can strike gold later on in the third round and get another quarterback like a Bouchelle, there's, you know, why not? I don't see why not. I think maybe a veteran option could be the better place that your quarterback room isn't entirely young from starter down, but I mean, we saw names like Alex Smith, Brian Hoyer floated around. Obviously, Alex Smith retired. Brian Hoyer came in on a visit or was expecting a visit. Maybe the veteran option would be better than the rookie, but I think you should probably take a a running back and a quarterback on day three of every draft, if not every other draft. So I can't blame Joe Douglas if that's his process. I'm not sold on James Morgan. I was rated really low on my board last year didn't do a ton of work on him but then you know you see the flashes the big arm I'm not entirely sold that he could be the guy if something were to happen to the starter so definitely needs to be an option later on in the draft for sure yeah I think the example that I always like um you know even if you want to make the case that he's been a bust to some degree um was was when the you know I remember the oohs and ahs when the Redskins took RG3 and Kirk Cousins in the same draft. Um, and as mm-hmm. it turned out, you know, uh, RG3 started out like a, RG3 started out like a house on fire. Um, but then of course the injury and he was never the same. And then Kirk Cousins went on to become their starter. Of course they let him walk, but it still showed that there was some value. There was a, it wasn't a bad idea to bring another guy in. Um, you know, if it was a little bit later in the draft, uh, and like I said, we'll be joined later by Dennis Wozak of the uh, of the AP Jets beat writer. All around great guy. Dennis is a really good dude. Um, I've had the opportunity to speak with him on many occasions at training camp, um, and just just a good guy has has some uh, has some good insight. And he's going to go over uh, you know a, f- a few questions that me and Dylan will throw at him in regards to the draft. Uh, you know the the, the you know w- what do they do with twenty three and. What are some of the drafts? What are the some of the moves you might see from the Jets after the draft? Um, so we'll we'll discuss that later. But we're going to get into um, at the moment, Dylan. Let let's go ahead and do with the draft being as close as it is. Um, some of our best and worst memories of the draft as Jets fans. Um, you know, we know there have been lots of ups and downs, and with sort of tied into that, it, it's kind of the same topic. Um, with 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 a slight twist on it, is um, you know, just off the top of your head, just going back, who are some of the players? And it doesn't even have to be Jets, although we'll you know that's where the focus will be. 
but guys that you were the most right and the most wrong about. Like guys that you were like, this dude's going to be not, you know, not worthy of NFL roster spot, and he turns out to be a great player. Or you thought a guy was a surefire lock to meet his full potential and, and just didn't get it done. Uh, and, and just, and again, some, some of the memories you've had, Dylan, over the years uh, of sitting down, watching Jets drafts, what's your normal routine, and, and what are some of the, 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 either the very excited or the, or, or the super, uh, you know, super unhappy responses to some of the picks the Jets have made over the years? Yeah, so I'll start off with, like, one of my old traditions watching the draft. When I first moved to my new house in middle school, I met a couple buddies that have been lifelong friends ever since, and uh, they were the ones that really introduced me into the draft probably around 2005, 2006. And we used to always go up in my buddy's treehouse and plug in this little tiny television. And every time one of our teams would pick, we'd run up in the treehouse and we'd go sit there and watch the picks. And the first year we did that was 2006. And to the Jets, that's one of the best draft classes we've had in a while. You have DeBrickashaw and uh, Nick Mangle coming out of the first round. And as a young kid, I just remember like, oh my gosh, we took two offensive linemen. Like, how boring is this? We're over here having catch in the backyard. So we're thinking about quarterbacks and receivers and I'm young at the time. So O-line was not the sexy pick for me, but it turned out to be one of the best drafts that the Jets have ever had. And we continued that treehouse tradition for a little bit until we all got too big to fit in the treehouse. And now it's kind of just like a cheesesteak and wing tradition. Now we just all go sit around, drink some beers, have fun. So that's kind of our new process. That's awesome, but, uh, though. You know that, that you know that, and that's one of the great things about sports is the uh, those those friendships you know that we make with our mm-hmm. with our buddies when we're kids, um, and carry them through. You know, it's a little different for me. You know, as I've said before, living in the UK now and being you know having having spent some time away from the US through the military and all that, but I still have you know same two buddies that I've been watching the Jets with since I was 11 years old, and I'm 45 mm-hmm. now, so we're talking 34 years. Um, and whenever there's a big move, um, you know, the same two buddies that I'll message on, on, on messenger and we'll just go back and forth. We had some, some pretty intense arguments this off season about what to do with Darnold. They both wanted to keep him. I said, they got to trade him. Um, but yeah, stuff like Mm -hmm. that, man. Uh, and just little traditions like that. And, and I think they would acknowledge that I'm much more of a, a draft maniac than they are. Um, they, you know, they, they pay close attention, but they don't obsess over it quite as bad as I do. But uh I remember that mm-hmm. draft of course, the, the the brick and uh mangold draft. I remember that one well because I was uh that's when internet cafes were fairly new. Um and I was I had taken a trip a World War Two trip. I'm a huge World War Two nerd. Um and this is back I was stationed in Florida but I had booked a trip to take a world a World War Two trip to go from London um, across parts of Europe, you know, France and Luxembourg and Patton's Grave and all that, ending up in Berlin. Um, and I was, you know, uh, trying, like frantically trying to find an internet cafe to log on and see who the Jets were taking. And uh, I basically watched the uh, the first, well, all of it really, um, online when, when internet access wasn't as widely available. And that was a great class. I, and I see what you mean, though. I, you know, I can remember my young, you know, in your very early years as a fan, it's just all about the, the offensive playmakers. You know, you just want the yeah. guys who, who, you want the guys who handle the ball and run really fast. Offensive linemen are boring. 
Um, but then as you grow yep. and you kind of learn the importance of different positions, you're kind of, you know, you, you want the offensive lineman to get picked. Um, yeah, now I'm banging the know, table for him almost at every draft. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, for, you know, for me personally, some of the best and worst. Uh, worst, I would probably have to say, because uh, it's the first draft I can remember as a fan. I was 11. Um, I was aware. You know, you, you have that, obviously, you start watching football at some point. Prior to that, you're not really a fan. Um, I was aware of guys like Mark Gastineau, Wesley Walker, Ken O'Brien, uh, Freeman McNeil, just, you know, living in the Bronx. And some of the stores would have, like, the posters for sale all the time out on the sidewalks. Um, so I knew who these guys were. I, I, I knew I had uncles who were Jets fans, so I, I rooted for them. Um, and But the first, you know, I had that first time where I read about the draft and kind of had some understanding of what it was. Um, and that was the year the Jets took Blair Thomas, uh, who went on to be one of the biggest busts in team history. I didn't understand guys well, could be busts. Like, I'd never watched a draft before. I thought, okay, if you're picking the best guys, then they're going to go on to be the best guys. Um, right, obviously, exactly. Obviously had some learning to do. So uh, so that mm-hmm. was a disaster. And And again, back then it was sort of, it was all about, you know, especially again for me as a kid, it was just, I just wanted to know, who the first guy was like, cause that's going to be the best guy. Um, but you know, but years mm-hmm. after that, it, you know, in the years that followed, um, I remember the 93 draft really well. I was a big Marvin Jones guy and I really wanted him. Jets ended up coming away with him, which was really nice. And Adrian Morrell, uh, I was a big fan of his cause I, he, he made a, he made a really, at, at the time I thought it was cool and gutsy, but, um, you know, years later again, now I know it was just dumb. Um, I believe it was Morrell who, who scooped up a – I went to the Jets-Giants preseason game that year, and the Jets fielded a punt where the ball was, was sort of bouncing between a bunch of Giants defenders, and Adrian Morrell, like, ran through the middle of them and scooped it up and had a big return. Um, I didn't realize those are the kind of things you get you um, – if you do that during the regular season. I just – I was young enough that I was like, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, you know, again, right, thought it was yep. the coolest thing ever. Uh, th- then, of course, the Keyshawn draft, first time in my life they had the number one overall pick. They go with a wide receiver. Um, yet another first rounder who got traded. Um, that's just kind of the way the Jets do business. And really, one of the, one of the worst ones um, in '98, and it really turned out. It really, I mean, that to me is one of the worst classes in team history. Um, that was a Bill Parcells production, and Parcells had a couple of atrocious drafts with the Jets. Um, Hall of Fame credentials as a coach and all. But uh, I'll run you through that class in a second. But I remember I was sold on the fact that the Jets were getting Orlando Pace that year. I was 100% like, this is the guy they're getting him. Uh, um, yeah. Of course, of course, Parcells trades that pick, moves down a few spots, and then trades down again, I believe with Tampa Bay, was it? Um, ends up passing in both the spots the Jets traded down from, <clears throat> a Hall of Fame left tackle was drafted. No, it was Seattle. Because it was uh, Orlando Pace at one was a Hall of Famer. They traded down and then traded down with Seattle. And Seattle took Walter Jones, who's a Hall of Famer. And the Jets ended up taking Dorian Boos, a defensive end who had one career sack in 59, I'm sorry, 44 games. Um, So a complete bust. And here's the rest of that class. I mean, Jesus, what a disaster. Uh, It was Dorian Boos and Scott Frost the Nebraska quarterback who, who Parcells was going to move to safety. Uh, he played 59 career games. 
And actually, I take that back. I said Booze had a sack. I'm looking at the numbers now. That was Scott Frost. So Booze never had a sack. Um, at least according to at least according to Pro Football Reference. So Scott Frost went second. Kevin Williams was a DB who got a had one career interception, which if I'm not mistaken, came in his first pro game uh, against the 49ers. Jason Fabini, best best pick of that class, played 152 career games. Casey Daly never really played. I think he had some injury issues. Uh, Doug Karzuski never played a game. Blake Spence uh, had a blocked field goal in a playoff game one time. That's that about sums up his career. One career touchdown. Eric Bateman never played a game. Eric Abagu he actually had a pick against the Bills at a game I went Bills game I went to uh, at the old Giant Stadium. And he what did he play? Uh, Ninety career games, but I think the majority of that was with the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Chris Brazell. Are you familiar with Chris Brazell, Dylan? Uh, no. I was uh, three years old when this draft took place, so the only one that's rung a bell to me is Jason Fabini. Yeah, he would be the only one. Uh, Brazell was an interesting story because mm-hmm. he, he played 14 career games, was out of football, went off into obscurity, uh, well, at least as far as we knew for years, and then he popped up in a news story. He left football and went on to become an Army sniper, which was pretty awesome. Um, oh, wow. Then there was Dustin Johnson, fullback, and Lawrence Hart, tight end. Neither guy – oh, no, sorry. They each played one career game. So, yeah, that was a lot of draft picks, and only one of them became a starter. There's Jason Fabini. Wow. Uh, and, and you passed on two Hall of Fame left tackles. So that's uh, – yep. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a disaster. And I also recall, for those of you who remember the old Mike and the Mad Dog days on WFAN – uh, it was actually kind of funny because both guys ended up being not very good. But um, there was uh, – I was listening to that draft live on WFAN, and the Jets took Kyle Brady over J.J. Stokes because J.J. Stokes was the guy everyone predicted the Jets would take a receiver. I believe – I want to say he was UCLA. Wasn't Warren but I'm not in that draft sure. as well? I'm sorry? Wasn't Warren Sapp in that draft class as well with Kyle Brady? Yeah, that was the draft where all the fans were chanting, you know, you know, we want Sap, we want Sap. The Jets went with Brady instead, and uh, Mike and the Mad Dog. I think it was Mad Dog. I, you know, I get that it was his shtick, but I think it might have been Francesa actually. Any one of them was going nuts that the Jets didn't draft J.J. <laughs> Stokes because J.J. Stokes was supposed to be the next big thing. Um, and the funny story there was that once the Jets passed on J.J. Stokes, the Cleveland Browns had the next pick, and they traded down with the San Francisco 49ers, who then took J.J. Stokes. And, of course, the Niners had just won a Super Bowl, or, you know, they were still a sort of a top team. So they were ripping the Jets. Oh, this guy, he's not good enough for the Jets, and the best team in the, in the, in the league just traded up to get him, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the funny story to that one, uh, Dylan, again, probably a few years before you watched it, um, up close, um, the Cleveland Browns, the reason they ended up trading down, uh, rumor had it, they were so all in on Kyle Brady and they were so sure he was going to fall to them that they didn't have anyone else they were considering. They had even contacted Penn State to get Brady's shoe size and had shoes made up, you know, for him. Um, and they just, they were wow. 100% sure he was their guy. I think it was like the 11th, whatever pick it was. They were so sure he was their guy 
they didn't even they didn't consider another player. And when the Jets took Brady, they panicked and they were unprepared and they took the first trade offer that came their way. It came from the 49ers. They drafted J.J. Stokes, who was also very bad at playing football in the NFL. And, uh, yeah, I mean, lots of those memories, lots of, uh, lots of bad stuff. The best, though, is probably the, you know, the 2000 draft with four first-rounders. That was an epic thing. I don't know that we'll ever see that again, mm-hmm. a team with four ones. Right. And you hit on four of them. You know, Becht wasn't great. Pennington had the injury mm-hmm. issues. But Ellis and Abraham were fantastic players. Abraham, of course, becomes Nick Mangold when they trade him to the Falcons for their for their first rounder, and draft Nick Mangold yep. with it. Um, more recently, Dylan, uh, last year's draft, and I'm I'm trying not to be too down on it, but the Ashton hmm. Davis pick really made me mad. Until you know, I, I I've said this has happened to me a few years now, where I am so 100 percent convinced there is a specific position the Jets are not going to address that I do close to no homework on it. And it's happened a couple times now where they take a guy. Like, it happened with Leo. Leonard Williams, to me, defensive line was the last thing in the world the Jets were taking. Oh, I don't yeah. think I watched I don't think I watched more than five minutes of film on defensive linemen that year, and they took that guy number one. I couldn't believe it. I was floored. Um, and then the same thing happened last year. With Ashton Davis, I felt like you have you have Jamal, you have uh, Marcus May. Even if you are taking a safety, you're not taking one before the fifth round. Um, so I looked at a couple late round guys, and I was I I was so pissed off when they made the Davis pick, and then, and I I knew nothing about him because I'd watched literally just I, I may have seen a couple minutes of him if that. But then I start seeing all these people talk about what a great athlete he is, and he could be a corner. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, now I'll ease up a little. If the Jets view him as a corner and that's where he's going to play, maybe they, maybe they got a little steal here. There's clearly no intention of playing him at corner. Those were people who liked him no. and they were pumping him up a little bit. Um, dumb pick as far as I'm concerned. Still have hope he might be a good player. But, again, for positional value, another safety in the top 70, is, you know, kind of I've had enough of that. Mm-hmm. The P. Ryan I think that whole board – four picks in a row right there. Sorry to cut you off. I was going to say those four picks right in the middle of last year's draft are very yeah, big head scratchers exactly. with Davis, Zuniga, P. Ryan, Morgan, like each one back That's to back when the pick came in, it's like, who is this guy? I don't know much about him. Why are we taking him such a high pick? Zuniga was 79th. And I thought that was a pretty big reach. And then obviously James Morgan top 125 is just silly looking back on it. So that that whole middle section of the draft, yeah, it's just real head scratchers. Yeah, I said it at the time. I said this. I said, and it, what really made it tough is that I I don't think I'm alone in saying I was ecstatic when they started off with Beckton and Mims. I thought, oh my god, oh, they've yeah. got a franchise tackle and a number one receiver to start things off. They're going to clean house this time, mm-hmm. you know. And I thought they're going to grab at least one more receiver in such a deep class. I thought they're going to grab at least one more offensive lineman. They did later. They took Cam Clark, who I was a big fan of going into the draft. P. Ryan didn't care for him at all. Zuniga, he missed so much time due to injury. I didn't watch much of him at all. James Morgan, I actually was the, when we did our mocks last year. The only reason I didn't I didn't mock him to the Jets, and I I was going to mock him in the fifth, um, and it was only be, it was it wasn't even because I liked him. It was because the reason that I think may be the the reason why the Jets took him 
is I saw the Jets had met with him a couple times, and I, I saw the Patriots had met with him a couple times. And it was like, oh, are, are the Jets going to try to play keep away okay. with this guy? Um, but I, I think that Which might be Which is funny because I think one of those picks is from – wasn't one of those fourth-round picks that one of the ones that New England traded up to select the tight end in the third round? Because they gave us two-fourths from last year's draft to move up to select the tight end. So that's funny that we turned around yeah, and used one of those picks to potentially block a quarterback from going to New England. It might be one of those guys, but or one of those picks. But mm-hmm. Morgan is a guy, you know, like I'm just not sold on. You know, big arm, but he, he's he's got he's one of those guys. At least when when you look at him in college, he, he made a lot of big time throws in terms of just sheer distance. But a lot of them were those sort of those underthrown deep throws, where you know it's a 50 yard completion, mm-hmm. but if he had a little more on it, it's a 65 75 yard completion where his receivers are having to slow down mid-route to let the ball come down to them. Um, that doesn't go over so well on the pros. I, I, listen, I understand it happens with every quarterback from time to time. I just felt like it happened a lot with Morgan. So I actually mm-hmm. was going – oh, the reason I didn't mock him to the Jets last year, um, I forget which, which draft engine we used, um, but he wasn't on there. Um, I, I wanted to pick him. Oh, uh, okay. Um, not wanted to. I was trying to do what I thought the Jets might do. Uh, but anyway – uh, love the Cam Clark pick, still do. Bryce Hall, you kind of felt better about things. I did anyway when they went with Clark and Hall. Um, mm-hmm. Clark, of course, coming off injury, you felt like he was a, 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 a top two or three round prospect who you ended up getting in the fifth. And then, uh, of course, Braden Mann. So mixed bag last year. Loved the first couple picks. Didn't really care much for the next four picks. And then uh, I liked the, the, the following, the three that followed that up. I didn't like trading, even though it was a seventh. I didn't like giving up a pick for Quincy Wilson. I felt like if a corner who's that young was any good, like you're not getting him for a seventh. Um, and as it turns right. out, he wasn't very good. Uh, ended up getting cut. Uh, that, that seventh round pick, I would uh, probably on Twitter, but in my head for sure, I was saying, hey, let's go get Lamar Jackson. Let's go get Lamar Jackson. Then he ends up being a UDFA to the Jets anyway. So it all came right. full circle would, on that one. Yeah, my my thought was, you know, because, again, it, it really shocked me that there wasn't an, another receiver taken. But uh, we're going to yep. go to the phones right now because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Dennis, is this you? You with us? I'm with you guys. How you guys doing? Uh, doing great, Dennis. This is Dennis Wazak of the AP Associated Press, uh, New York Jets beat writer, who, uh, as I said, does come on the show from time to time. Always a pleasure having him. Dennis, how have you been? I've been good. Uh, you know, it's been one of those off seasons. Uh, you know, not too busy, right? I mean, just yeah, oh one God. of those things yeah. where just speculation, rumors, and you know, all kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. Let, let's get to the draft, right, guys? Like let's let's get there and let let's move on because these past few months have been uh, pretty you know, pretty frustrating and just, you know, just like, again, let's get to the draft and and, uh, get going here. Yeah, it it has been a pretty, uh, pretty crazy time. I mean, whether it's football related, non-football related, but I I said at the top that every year it feels like the time from the Super Bowl to the draft gets a month longer than the year before. Um, I, I even, I mean, I make a conscious effort to not talk about it on the show for the first month or month plus after the season, because I know it's just going to, there's going to be so much of it. And even still by the end of it, I'm like, you know, enough, I've had it. 
how many different ways, how many different angles, how many different players can you look at. But uh, anyway, D- Dylan's going to kick us off here, Dennis. We're going to we're going to pepper you with a few questions about the draft, about the the, the post draft process, and things like that. So uh, you can go ahead and kick it off, Dylan. All right, sounds good. Thanks again for uh, joining us, Dennis. But uh, with uh, Dust settling uh, on the second round or second overall pick, with the overwhelming consensus being Zach Wilson out of BYU, the fans have started to turn their focus towards that second pick in the first round, number 23 overall. So a bit of a two-parter. But is there any position groups or players that you specifically would like the Jets to target there? And have you also heard any clues or rumblings as to who they could be eyeing with that pick? I would say you have so many holes right on this roster going into the draft that they really need as much as they can. But specifically, I'd say cornerback, offensive line, uh, some playmakers, you know, wide receiver, running back, and outside linebacker, you know, somebody who can get to the quarterback. Um, But I do think at number 23, you have options if you're Joe Douglas. You have have a potential – to trade up or trade back, get more picks, that kind of thing. But if he sticks at 23, there could be some really intriguing players there who could spin and make impacts in their first year. And I think if you're looking at cornerback and you have guys like Asante Samuel Jr. and Greg Newsom from Northwestern, um, Tyson Campbell from Georgia, excuse me. And if you have a guy like Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, that's a guy who might be there at 23 and you have to pounce on him, you know? So I think there, there will be some pretty good cornerbacks at that number 23 spot and at offensive line. Now I think a lot of what the jets do in the draft, especially in the early rounds will help determine the fates of Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten in particular, because if they can get upgrades through the draft, I think you might see some of those guys, um, you know, potentially cut. Um, but you look at some of these players like Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, uh, Ben Cleveland from Georgia, Elijah Vera Tucker, who probably wouldn't be there at 23, but, you know, maybe Joe Douglas likes him and, and wants to move up. Um, so, I, you know, I think you have those options there. Um, and that's what makes this intriguing, right, guys? Like, I mean, you have all of these these – holes so to speak on the roster and at certain spots that you you don't really need to pigeonhole it's like you really can you know we we hear it all the time the best player available you know all of that but whatever you have on your board at that point if you're joe douglas whether it's an offensive lineman cornerback um an edge rusher you can really feel good about taking that guy i mean if if, um the guy from notre dame awusu karmo if he's there that might be a guy that you, you add to that defense. So um, my thought would be that they will take a corner um, with that number 23 spot. Um, and and I, I think uh, just based on what you've heard, especially if you have, um, you know, if you have that quarterback with the number two pick and then one of your big holes on the defense is in a secondary, a corner. If you add a guy who can come in and start right away, well, man, after what you did in free agency up front and added to that defensive line, all of a sudden you've got, you've got a really, you know, potentially solid, really solid defense. 
Now, the question like we've always had with the Jets over the last few years has been the offense, and they need weapons. So you wonder if Devontae Smith or like Jalen Waddell fall to that far down. You know, and that, that would be a guy that they would add to that receiving core. But long story short, I think they go corner and number 23 if they stay there. And you mentioned um, Alex Lewis and Greg Van Roten as potential replacements via the draft, so that will lead me into the next question. Are there any other moves that you could see the Jets making in that additional wave of free agency post-draft that could be potential cap casualties along with a Lewis or a Greg Van Roten? Uh, I think those are the main guys. I think some people have mentioned George uh, Fant, and I, I think – part of his contract is already guaranteed that's kicked in. So I don't think that he would be uh, a potential uh, casualty after the draft because of that. Um, plus he's, he's got some versatility to him and he could be a backup. Um, I think they like him. I think they like his uh, athleticism. Um, I think he could be upgraded, you know, through the draft, but if not, I think they're okay. Um, I, you know, Con- uh, Connor Mc- McDermott, you know, one of those guys, it's interesting because that offensive line, when you look at as a unit, it's like, well, they weren't that good. And then you look at them individually and you're like, well, he's not too bad. And this guy's not too bad. And Alex Lewis wasn't bad when he was, you know, when he was playing and he was, it's, 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 that's the type of thing though, moving forward, they need to have that locked down. It's not like he's he's pretty good. He's okay. Everybody's got to be Makai Becton and and up. You know, like that's if you're bringing in with the number two pick a quarterback who you're going to build around. That's the key. You need to have an offensive line that can build with the quarterback and move forward with the quarterback and with Michael Floor's offense and and all of that. So um, I, I just. I could see potentially them, the Jets, trying to move on from some of the uh, the veteran offensive linemen um, if they if they upgrade through the draft. Um, but um, as for for other positions, I, I don't. I think they they've really got some of those uh, spots set. I, I think you know Henry Anderson was number one. Like you didn't think he was going to be back, and that played out like that. Uh, maybe Ryan Griffin, you know, a tight end. He might be a guy that, depending on what goes on in the draft, and, you know, they, they just brought back Daniel Brown and they signed Tyler Croft in the offseason. So maybe there's not a spot for Ryan Griffin in his contract. So he's a potential cut. So I, I would say that, that that's – there probably won't be too many more of those, but I, I think uh, Griffin is definitely one that you could look out for. Yeah, I think that's a good point on on Ryan Griffin, Dennis. He's a guy who is it, – it's really tough, I think, when a team is as bad as the Jets were last year. It's hard to evaluate anyone fairly because the whole thing was just a disaster. Yeah. But Griffin <laughs> Griffin really – I mean, specifically him, just different guy, invisible. It, he's one of those guys that, you know, you look at the fact that he had, you know, eight or 12 catches, and even that seems like a lot. Like, I can't remember one. I can't remember one catch from, you know, from him last year. He really was invisible. Um, and not a ton of money, but still to pay a couple million for a guy who did so little is you could see them moving on from him. But, um, you know, we've talked about the fact that Wilson is likely the picket too. He's the guy that he's, 
He's the Vegas odds-on favorite. You're now starting to see him to the Jets in almost every mock, whereas before it was, there was a little more variety with the other quarterbacks. Um, and there's, listen, there's a lot. As we see it every year. Um, these quarterbacks are getting – they're under the microscope. They're getting picked apart. Um, one day they're, you know, one day they're great. The next day there's question marks. We've seen people question Zach Wilson's commitment. He's a spoiled brat. He wasn't a team captain. He's not a guy you want leading your team. Then we, Justin Fields, we hear, you know, Orlovsky says he's hearing that he's, you know, last guy in, first guy out, questionable work ethic. And, and if you've been following long enough, we know that sometimes stories come out from teams that want the guy. Like maybe somebody <laughs> wants Fields at eight. And they don't think he's going to fall, so they're like, hey, uh, hey, Jaworski, or hey, whoever, hey, hey you know, uh, Orlovsky, we don't like this kid because of X, Y, Z. You can share that quote. Um, now, I don't know how many teams are rearranging their draft boards based on rumors being shared by ESPN analysts, but Fields has gotten through the ringer a little bit, Wilson a little bit. We saw a little bit of it for Trevor Lawrence this past week because his dad said he's not, you know, he, he's not a super competitive guy which I think is something probably taken out of context. I don't think you get to the point Trevor Lawrence has gotten to if you're not a super competitive guy. But all in all, the, the top guys, the guys I mentioned, Mac Jones, Trey Lance, how, how would you rank these guys? Because everyone's ranking seems to be sort of, you know, you can have 10 people and 11 ranked 10 different ways. You know, one of the things that, that I could say, and it's funny, what you were saying there is so true because, it's amazing how many narratives and rumors are thrown out time of year, you know, and, and you hear certain things and people jump on them. You know, people, if you say, you know, this guy, Zach Wilson is this, it could be, you know, it could be a, a, a well-followed Twitter personality, or it could be somebody with very few Twitter followers and it, people will jump on it and people eat it up. And that's the age, you know, we're in with social media and people are just starving for information. And the funny thing is, I think if all of the research and digging and investigating that's done on players who are you know, going into the draft – if we did that with regular society, there would be no crime anywhere. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> unbelievable. Like the, the combing that people do. The analysis. Backgrounds. Yes. Yeah, totally. And, um, you know, so I, I really do take a lot of that with a grain of salt. I think when you hear, when you hear rumblings, it makes you kind of pause, but I'll tell you this, every single team has people who are, going through the backgrounds and they're, they're doing interviews and they're finding out what the real story is on, on people. And, and I would say this about all of these guys, you know, you're all of the stuff that's been said, you know, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, just like you mentioned, Zach Wilson, they all are competitive. Like you said, to, to get to this point. And if there are people taking shots at them now, that's only going to drive them. And Trevor Lawrence knows he's the number one pick. He's going to a franchise that, that needs a savior, so to speak. And he's going to be driven to do that. I, I have zero doubts that that guy will be motivated to be the best, to be number one. He knows what's at stake here, you know, and I, I don't, I don't buy any of that, that stuff about his like not being competitive enough and all that. But um, to your question, I, I think, if I had to rank them, I would probably say based on 
the whole package. I would go probably definitely Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Then I'd go Trey Lance and then Mac Jones. I think all four of the all five of those guys, they're going to be starters in this league. And it's just it's it's such a crapshoot though because you know that it's rare that you have five guys like this and they all become long term starters and successful starters, you know? So you just hope if you're one of those teams drafting that you got the right guy. And I, Trevor Lawrence is a sure thing. And then I think Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are in that next level of, of being guys who are, are going to do well in this league. I, and I think because of their skill sets, then you go to the next Trey Lance, he could be tremendous or, he might not be that great. And I'm not buying Mac Jones as a top 10 pick. I, I, I just, I know his numbers and where he played at Alabama, they're tremendous, but I, I just, I don't know. I can't see the 49ers going that, that far up in the draft and taking Mac Jones, but who knows? I mean, and, and a great point you made about, um, you know, teams putting things out there about certain players and maybe they even want that guy to, to kind of turn off, all the other teams so that they back off. We don't know, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, going in, we know who the number one guy is and we're pretty sure number two, but we thought number one, like a few years ago in the Darnold draft that the Browns were going to take Darnold and the Jets were going to go either, you know, Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen or you know, Josh Rosen, you know, at that point. So uh, things happen, things change, things, things aren't always what they seem. Um, on social media or in, on, you know, in the rumor mill. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say Trevor Lawrence won, and I, I, I'd be stunned if the Jets don't take Zach Wilson. And I would think I can't see the Niners taking Mac Jones. I, I think Justin Fields is a good fit for them and what they plan to do and what they have been doing. Um, you know, even though there's been some you know change in the, the office, I, I just – I see that that happening. So that would be my my uh, my ranking: Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, and Mac Jones. Yeah, funny enough, having said everyone's got them different. That's that's how I'd rank them myself. Uh, Lance <laughs> worries me because of the the, the lack of, of pass attempts. I do think that's you know to, to only play one full season of college football yeah. and to, yeah. and to do it at North Dakota State. Um, for as many people you know who worry about. Uh, Zach Wilson, you know, he at least he played he played a handful of big time schools, you know, who maybe not have been at their best, but he still played USC. He played at Tennessee and won both those games. He played Washington, lost that one. He beat UCF um, with a few key players opting out, so that one not as strong as it looks on paper. Um, but but yeah. even still, yeah. he had some of those big time programs on his schedule um, and played three seasons, thirty games. Whereas Lance, you know, has played a handful of games, has fewer than 300 attempts and all of it, you know, at that level. So, but at the same time, though, you see the arm strength, you see the electricity, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's he sort of, I know there are a lot of quarterbacks who can run now, but not a lot of guys who can run as well as he does. He's in that sort of Lamar Jackson, like Michael Vick echelon of just, you know, explodes on that first step and defenders are going to have a really hard time getting a hand on that guy. Um, it's just a matter of when is he ready to start. Um, we had this discussion earlier, Dylan, you, you me, and Alex on, on, a, on a chat where, you know, for a guy to throw 220 passes at North Dakota State, 
like when is he ready to become an NFL starter? Uh, as a matter of fact, I listened to um, Albert Breer's podcast the other day. He had Trent Dilfer on, and they said, you know, that guy needs to sit minimum one year. But that just doesn't happen nowadays with top five, top ten quarterbacks. So what do you do if you right. take a guy who really needs that time? But um, Right. And, and that's, that's a good point, too, because I, and like, kind of like what I said with, with Lawrence and Fields and Wilson, I, I think those are the guys, if you're one of those top three or four teams, if you pick one of those guys, it's hard to second guess that. Even down the line in the future, if one of those guys doesn't work out, it's hard to knock that. Even the Jets taking Darnold, you know, you, it, you can't knock that pick. That was the pick everybody would have made, you know, and, and people thought, the Browns were going to make that pick, and the Jets got that guy. That was the guy who everyone thought was going to be a star. It didn't work out, but you can't knock the Jets. So I think what you can knock a team for is not taking one of those guys and taking a risk and taking a Mac Jones or a Trey Lance in the top five and thinking that they're going to be a, a superstar, and if it doesn't work out, then, I mean, that sets your franchise back. So so there are, I mean, it, there's, there's levels, of, like I said, of sure things. But if you're picking third and you take a Mac Jones or you, you're fifth or whatever and you take Trey Lance, man, you are, you, you're taking a big leap of faith there. And if it works out, you look like a genius. And if not, like, you know, in three years, you're, back, you're right back here again. And so and you mentioned a guy earlier, uh, Dennis, when you were going through some of the, the possibilities at 23 and Caleb Farley, a guy who just a couple weeks ago was sort of universally viewed as a top 10 pick and the best corner in this class. Now he has a back surgery that, you know, we're hearing is not supposed to hinder him, but how much of that, um, you know, is because his agent is saying it, you know, what else is his agent going to say? <laughs> um, but if you're, uh, listen, I'm old enough that this, this will predate you, Dylan. I don't know if you'll remember this, Dennis. Uh, I remember different sport, but I remember listening to Scott Boris come on the radio and assure Yankee fans, that Brian Taylor was going to be just fine after getting into a street fight, uh, protecting his brother in his local neighborhood. The first high school kid to get a million dollar bonus. He threw a million miles an hour. He was never the same. Um, so that, that, that didn't stick with me at all over the years, but, um, at 23, uh, you mentioned Farley. Do you think Joe Douglas, especially since this is an extra one, I mean, it still has value. Yeah. I still want to hit, but do you think maybe he rolls the dice a little and says, Farley's got the injury concern, but I'm getting a top 10 corner at 23. Or, and I know this, this isn't as popular of a decision, I might like this guy more than most, but a guy like Walker Little out of Stanford, a guy who played left tackle at a level that some said he would be a top 10 pick. He opted out last year, busted his ACL up the year before that, so he only played a game or two. So you haven't seen him really in a couple of years, but I view it as, well, now we know the ACL is going to be as recovered as it will ever be. Um, and a year off at his age, we're not talking about a guy who's 29 and took two years off. You're talking about a guy who's still in his early 20s is, to me, a day one starting left tackle. If he went there, he's not going to with the Jets. But if he could play the right side and maybe be a guy that fills an effect and gets dinged up, he missed a bunch of time last year. Um, do you think Joe Douglas says, this is a little bit of house money. I'm going to roll the dice on a guy who plays a premium position corner or tackle, or even a, a Greg Rousseau out of Miami, another guy who opted out but was viewed as the top pass rusher coming into the season. I mean, the Jets could – Joe Douglas could legitimately be sitting at 23 and be able to choose from a, a left tackle who some projected as a top 10 guy, 
or a corner or edge guy who some viewed as the number one guys in their position in this class. Does he roll the dice and say a little bit of an injury risk here, but, or, you know, in Rousseau, it's more, again, sort of like the Lance thing, lack of reps. He doesn't have a ton of film, but because of the high ceiling and the, because of the fact that it's a premium position, I'm going to roll the dice here. Yeah, I could certainly see that. And especially just as you said, uh, it's, it's an extra, so to speak, number one pick, you know, a first round pick. So, they they have some some room to to deal with you know with with a guy who's coming off an injury or is coming off of a layoff from playing that kind of thing. Um, Farley in particular is a guy who intrigues me, and if he's there, I would take him if I was the Jets because he's a guy who could potentially start in Week One if he's healthy enough. And I mean, they they will know or they will think they know how healthy he is, you know, and it hasn't prevented the Jets in the past from taking players who have been injured going into the draft and that kind of thing, but it it hasn't worked out that well. And and think about it, they've, they've taken guys later in the draft, you know, Bryce Hall, uh, Bless Austin. Uh, there have been some other guys over the years that they've taken uh, a chance on to that – guys that have, have been hurt um there was uh, who who's the uh the defensive back a few years ago from michigan i think it was uh his uh, name escapes me um, uh the, t- the tall the tall lanky yes. kid i know yes i know who you're talking about it'll it'll come yeah. to me in a minute so it's it's one of those deals where you know they took a chance late rounds but here here's a a chance for them all Jeremy three of Clark. those guys Yes, Jeremy Clark. Thank you. So, yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't worked out great with all those guys. We'll see Bryce Hall. You know, Bless Austin was starting. And, you know, you, you might see both of those guys as potential starters. But I think they still want that upgrade. And I think Caleb Farley would be really just a, a tremendous addition to that, that secondary. And uh, just the athleticism. And people say, you know, he's just scratching the surface of his potential. And, um you know, if they're convinced that that back is fine, uh, I, it would be hard to pass up on him. Um, Walker Little, I, I think, you know, the, the Jets need offensive linemen who can play and, and who are healthy and they know are an injury risk. And I think that might be a little bit of a, of a, a red flag for Joe Douglas in the first round to take a guy like that, um, you know, knowing that if we're going to upgrade our offensive line, and plug some guys in, you know, a guy that has an injury history, that that might not be the thing that they want to do, um, you know, at that spot. Um, you know, a defensive guy who comes off the edge and Rousseau like that, yeah, that I could see that happening too. So, long, you know, just go, you know, back to the original question, I, I definitely think Joe Douglas would would take a chance on some of these guys at number twenty three. Um, you know, and even if, if Caleb Farley doesn't start right away because they have a couple of options to start off the season with, like I mentioned, Bless Austin and Bryce Hall, and they know that in their projections he will be a starter and he'll be a good starter, well, it's hard to pass up that, that guy. So I, I think that's the, the opportunity that, that will present itself. And, again, it, there are so many holes that they they will have 
a bunch of players who will be at the top of their list that they'll have to make a judgment call on. So it's really intriguing. I mean, like once they got rid of Sam, Sam Darnold and made it clear they were taking quarterback and Zach Wilson, okay, that took care of that mystery. Now that number 23 pick, it, it could go any way. And any of these guys that we've been talking about could go there. So, but if Farley's there, it would be hard for me as a GM to, to pass on him, just knowing the whole package of, of what he brings. And I mean, just, just the talent and knowing that he could be a guy for the long run, maybe not weeks one, two or three, but you know, for seasons way beyond this one. Yeah. And, and yeah, to, your, to your point, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to comment really quickly yeah, on uh, what Dennis was saying, only because I know you tweeted on something similar a week or so ago. I said something similar on last week's show. Uh, the Jets are this, this. This may be, you know, draft day might be one of the very few times um, that you're you're glad you're in, in such dire need of talent at so many spots because it does leave you open at so many different positions. Where, of course, you can get it wrong by taking a guy who doesn't pan out. But if you're the <laughs> Jets, they're at, at 23 especially, again, at premium spots, there are going to be tackles who can start day one. There should be corners who can start day one. Not the greatest edge class, but there are some guys there who can play. Um, interior O-line, depending on how you feel about uh, a guy like Dickerson or Humphrey, like are they, are they first-round guys? I would think probably more likely 34. But, but either way, if they like them enough, you know, if it's interior line, if it's tackle, if it's edge, if it's corner – you can use a guy at every one of those spots. So as, as, as Dennis alluded to earlier, you truly can go best player available because you've got four or five different positions where you could really get a guy. I'm not a big fan of a receiver in that spot because they've added two guys. But as you said earlier, Dennis, you know, you can say, I, I don't want this, I don't want that. But there's always exceptions. I can sit here and say, I don't want a receiver at 23. But if Jalen Waddle falls to 23, that changes things, you know. <laughs> yep. That is an absolute yep. day one game-changing player. You know, I don't want the guys who were projected to be there because I feel like there are bigger needs. Um, but if someone falls, oh, of course, the situation changes. But uh, I'm going to uh, kick it back to you now, Dylan. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think just following up, I think the Jets are in a win-win situation with 23 and 34. Obviously, they could get the pick wrong as far as the player panning out, but there's not many positions that should make Jets fans uh, upset with the amount of holes that we have there. Yep. But going yep. back to the cornerback talk, um, could you see a reunion of Richard Sherman and Robert Sala post-draft if the Jets fail to solidify the cornerback position in the draft, say they'd miss out on – the run on cornerbacks in the first round and Farley's not there, or they just say he's medically not a fit for them. Do you think that they could grab a veteran like Sherman in the beginning of May? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's still a possibility given the relationship Sherman has uh, with Sala. And, uh, you know, I, I think one of the things I heard early on was that Sherman probably would want to stay on the West coast, he would want to stay near family mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. But um, knowing that, you know, if he goes into May and he still doesn't have a team, well, you know, if he still wants to play, he'll have an opportunity somewhere and he might want to go where he knows the scheme, you know, he knows what is expected of him and he'll, he'll come in and be a leader wherever he goes. And, and especially, 
a place like the Jets, if he, he comes to, you know, New York, um, you wonder how much he does have left. Um, obviously, it wouldn't be a long-term thing. It would be kind of a short-term solution and maybe help guys like Bless Austin um, and Bryce Hall just kind of come up. And he, even in that, that secondary room, helping Marcus May just kind of, like, you know, meld that, that whole uh, unit together. And um, so, yeah, I, I could see that. Um, I, I still don't know if he's a hundred percent on board with coming to the East coast and, you know, playing and, and really we've seen this in, in the past also where, you know, guys have come here, Ty law way back, you know, who, who was a, a pro bowler for, for the jets at the tail end of his career. Um, you know, and, and we've seen, you know, other players come at the end of their careers and it just, I, I feel like they're, they're trying to do something different. Now they're trying to really establish a young core of players. So it's still probably like 50, 50 on, on a Sherman coming out here. And, and if they go early at a cornerback, then, you know, the answer to that question was that they don't really want Sherman, you know, here, like that's not a fit. So um, I guess we'll see, but I'd say it's 50, 50 at this point. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny that uh <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, swallowed wrong. Um it's funny you mentioned the, the Sherman thing because the draft strategy has always been build through the draft and then supplement in free agency and you see the, the NFL kind of shifting to all right, let's hold out on veterans until the draft and if we still can't get the guy, we'll go after the veteran like that, like we saw with um Joe Flacco and Frank Gore. Obviously those didn't pan out, but I think you start to see a similar trend with veterans waiting until the start of the summer to sign with teams. But just uh, switching back to the quarterback talk, I just wanted to get your perception on how you thought Joe Douglas handled the Sam Darnold trade situation. Do you think that he could have waited any longer to trade him, maybe squeeze out a little bit more value, maybe draft weekend, or do you just think the compensation was fair for what they got already for him? I think that's a good question because I think when you look at the compensation and you see that they got a sixth rounder, a second and a fourth next year, that's pretty good. You know, that's, that's pretty good because um, based on the quarterback's body of work, you know, Sam, look, he has all the potential in the world and people love his character. Obviously Um, he, he was a good fit in New York. You know, he handled everything well here, um, all the adversity. Um, he always said the right thing. I, I really appreciated him for that. Um, you know, 23-year-old kid and, you know, younger when he was going through the, the mono and all that. I mean, he really handled himself well. And it's it's too bad that things didn't work out for him because I think he had the right mindset. Now he's going to Carolina where he should do well. You know, if, if he can overcome some of those issues um, that, that have held him back you know, personally, as far as the mechanics and, and, you know, what we've all talked about over the last three years, weaknesses of his. But when you look at it from the Jets perspective, and if you could get three draft picks from the Carolina Panthers for a Sam Darnold, um, including a second rounder next year, I, I think that that was it was time to cash in um i thought that it would go on 
until the draft. I thought that we wouldn't see Darnold moved until day two of the draft. I thought, okay, they're going to take mm-hmm. their quarterback. And then day two, we'll see some movement and Darnold will be shipped somewhere and they'll get some picks. But I don't know that they could have gotten more. And I, I think what this also does is it set the reset, it pushed the reset button now instead of, okay, now we're going to push it. Now we're going to move Sam. Now we're going to do – we all know the direction this franchise is going in now. And they're going with a, a young quarterback who they're going to draft. So I, I think the timing was right. I think they had to do that. It kind of cleared all of the, the intrigue and mystery over what will they do. Uh, because I, I flip-flopped constantly on it because I was thinking – I never really thought that the two could coexist uh, the number two pick and Darnold together in the same season. I just, that, that would not be good for the room, even though I think Sam would be fine. I think that that's just, where are you going with that? So I, I kept flip-flopping though on whether they would keep Sam or trade him, keep him, trade him. And I saw pros and cons to both. I think, I think they thought that too. They, they were going back and forth too until they decided, okay, what we need to do is move forward and we're going to do this. Now, Joe Douglas didn't live up to the promise that he made to his, Sam Darnold's parents by surrounding him with talent. He didn't do that. Well, now he's got to do it with whoever it is that they, they draft. If it's Zach Wilson, which it looks like, well, he needs to surround him with talent or Joe Douglas is going to be out of a job in a few years because this team's not going to be able to win with a, a kid trying to lead a team that doesn't have enough talent. We see it over and over again. And um, like I know if you guys go back to uh, the Mark Sanchez days, if they had just kept some of the core on that offense and built, I think you could have seen some consistency instead of, of like kind of the, uh, the cliff that the, the, the team fell off. Um, by by not having right, and, and yep. Sanchez in particular, yeah. I mean, um, he wasn't the most talented guy, but he was able to do some things. And we saw with the running game, the whole ground and pound, like you know, we saw we, we saw those years. Um, so it's on Joe Douglas to right the wrong that he had with Sam Darnold by surrounding whoever it is, and really, you know, with the talent. And, and really starting up front with that line, making sure that it's not just a, a patch a hole line like it has been the past few years, but when you go into this season with this offensive line, those four or five guys will be the guys moving forward with the quarterback who will be playing behind them. So um, I think, yes, the, the Jets got a good amount for Sam Darnold, and the timing was right to part ways when they did. And I'm not sure, like I said, if they would have gotten anything more uh, than this at the draft. Maybe a desperate team gives them, you know, maybe a, a you know, a, a fifth rounder instead of, you know, a sixth or something. But I think Douglas did well in that with that move for all of those reasons I mentioned. Dennis, I uh, just want to say thank you so much for joining us and being so generous with your time. Uh, it's really appreciated. Always love having you on. Um, no, no music questions this time around only, uh, <laughs> uh, other than how, how ready are you for concerts to come back and see some live music? Oh man, I can't wait. 
Um, just, it's one of those things, you know, going to concerts, going to shows, and just the energy and the vibe, you know, it just it gets you going, and you just miss that. Sometimes, but I, got, I, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted recently that I listened to the new Tool album from, it, it's not so new anymore, it's probably like a year and a half old now, but I finally sat down and listened to the whole almost two-hour album from start to finish, and it's just like, wow. And you forget, like, how good some of this music is, you know, it, just seeing it live and, and seeing different bands and that. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm, ready, I'm ready to roll. I, I hope, um, you know, we're able to do that. And we were seeing it at, at ball games, you know, and, and arenas. Yep. So yep. you would think that concerts are, are going to be coming up soon, too, that, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, a limited – uh, amount of space and amount of uh, uh, concert goers and stuff, but we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to start seeing bands again and, and live music. So yeah, man, I, I can't wait. Yeah. I know a time or two for me during lockdown, I may have had a couple of evenings where I had a couple of drinks and just, and went onto YouTube to find a concert that I was actually at to watch it. And, <laughs> yes. and kind of, I'm like, this is as close as it's going to get. I'm going to relive this through my, my TV and have a couple of beers and, <laughs> And you know, I don't, like I we had to cancel Guns N' Roses and and uh, Green Day during lockdown, and I know a bunch uh, of people had to cancel a bunch of stuff. Um, well, but Guns, uh, Guns yeah, we were all Guns N' Roses was that? the last show that I saw. Guns N' Roses was oh, the last really? show I saw before it was at uh, the Super Bowl. It down in uh, in Miami. Uh, they performed oh, wow. the day before. Yeah, and it was uh, of all people, Snoop Dogg opened up for Guns N' Roses. Oh Down wow, that's cool. I didn't realize that. <laughs> they had yeah. they had so many different opening acts for that tour. It was uh it was kind of ridiculous, but um I'm not sure I've I've seen that with another band and and yeah, kind of bummed out. They were supposed to be returning to London this year, uh 2021 and then they announced the other day they pushed it back again to 2022. So uh oh, wow. but you know, yeah, yeah, but but I'm ready for it. Um but again, thanks so much for coming on Dennis. Uh hopefully get you on again at some point during the season. And uh, and hopefully we're talking about you know some of these these actual draft picks you know playing some quality football. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, I appreciate you guys having me, and uh, you know you guys do a great job, and, and uh, you know it's about time Jet fans are able to start celebrating again because it's been a long time. So uh, and, and I think certainly have. they know it. <laughs> the, the franchise know, knows it. They need to get the job done now. So and I and and I think you guys can. Have some trust in Joe Douglas. I, I think he knows what he needs to do. So we'll see o- over the next, you know, week, uh, you know, ten days. We'll see. You know, there, there could be a major upgrade, a major improvement to this roster over over the you know the ten picks or maybe more. You know, that if they get some more. So we'll see what happens. All right, Dennis. Thanks again for joining us. That is Dennis Wazak of the Associated Take care, Press. Dennis. Thank you. You got it, guys. Take care. Take care, Dennis. Uh, as I said, Dennis, friend of the show, we try to get him on uh, whenever we get the opportunity, um, of course, without inundating him with requests, because uh, he's got a lot to do, AP reporter. And uh, as I said at the top, had the opportunity to, to meet with Dennis a few times at camp. Really good dude and, and fantastic taste in music. So um, moving along, Dylan, to uh, the, you know, as we said at the top, we're going to cover some of the some some day three undrafted free agent type players who we like. Um, I know they don't you know they don't grab the headlines and they're not. I don't know what it is, Dylan. I, for me, like I look back 
Um, and maybe, again, this is just me being kind of a sports nerd and never growing out of the part where I love, I love the process. I love the development of the, the guys who, especially the guys who aren't supposed to make it. I can remember as a kid, I used to be a huge, crazy, insane baseball fan. And, man, what am I getting the, the Sunday New York Daily News when they would have the, the Yankees minor league box scores or, or stat lines. And that, back then, that was it. That was your only link to how the guys in the minors were doing. And I used to love it. I couldn't get enough of, of you know, picking out the name, seeing who was playing well, and wanting to see these guys develop and come up through the system. And I'm the same way with football. Like, I, I want to see guys, as, and as I said, especially these low, you know, these late-round undrafted players who aren't supposed to make it, just basically beating the odds to become a good player for your favorite team. Uh, the Jets don't see it nearly enough, but um, I took some time this week. This week for me was a lot of a lot of looking at guys, you know, who different boards. Like I went to TDN, and I started at like the mm-hmm. 300th ranked guy, um, and just started going down from there. And probably looked at 40, 50 players, um, and you know, I literally like that was all I did for a few days, um, and, and some of it was ridiculous because some some of these guys. You know, they played so little. Like, I'm having to watch, you know, there were a couple players. I find myself, like, I just watched, like, 40 minutes of this guy to find him making a couple of plays to see what he's capable of. Because some of them are back. Right, yep. You got to, like, is he on the field? He's not even on the field right now. You know, let's, let's skip to the next play. Okay, he's still not on the field. Let's get to the next play. Okay, there he is. He didn't do anything. Um, especially, you know what's frustrating is when, you, when, you're, when you're trying to watch an old lineman and you have a lot of these zone blocking schemes and oftentimes – a, a defender won't even enter that guy's zone, and all you're seeing is you're just watching him come out of his stands, pop up, uh, you know, backpedal, and then the play's over. And you get like ten of those in a row, and it's like, could someone please engage this guy so I can see if he can play football? Um, so it drives me a little bit crazy sometimes. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll just go through. Uh, do you have do you have a few names you want to do? You want to go? Uh, I'll do a name. You do a name, or do you want me to just do a chunk of names? And then yeah, do a I have a I have a solid list of about five to three that I feel pretty comfortable about. Okay, why don't, why don't you go ahead and get us started with one then? All right, so the first one I have is a wide receiver. I think all three actually are all offensive players for me. Uh, it's Jalen Camp from Georgia Tech. Um, I looked uh, similar to you. I was using. Uh, rankings list that went down into the twos and 300. I didn't go as far down as 300 plus, but I stayed in that 240 to 280 range of players. Jalen Camp came in at 297 on a, a top 300 list that I saw, so I went all the way to the bottom for him. He's six foot two, 187. He ran a 443. He had a 40 inch vertical and 30 reps on the bench. Um, Georgia Tech wasn't really the ideal offensive system for him uh last year in nine games he had 27 catches for 417 yards and only four touchdowns which was the bulk of his college production right there he had under 800 total receiving yards over four years so he's definitely a sleeper somebody that you could probably grab in the sixth seventh round possibly udfa depending on what teams think about him but very limited tape and for the athletic ability that this guy possesses, I think he's definitely worth a late round swing. All right. Uh, the first one I'm going to go over is a guy, and the reason he jumped out at me um, was because he, um, 
because of what the Jets have done at wide receiver. This guy's a receiver too. Um, because of what the Jets have done at wide receiver and adding guys, you know, whether it's drafting Mim, signing Davis, uh, they seem to be going for these guys who not only guys with strong hands, but guys who are just physical, physical players all around. Even when the ball's not in their hands, they're looking right, for somebody yep. to beat up these super, you know, aggressive blocking receivers who can also catch the football. Um, and a guy that I hadn't really heard of till I did, you know, till I dug down into the 300 and ups. Um, let's see, Ben Scourneck out of Notre Dame. Um, big guy, 6'3". Oh, yeah. Had some interesting – had a game against, I want to say, Boston College, where he had like three touchdowns. Had a huge game against Pitt, where he made a great uh, contested leaping catch. Kind of lost his balance for a second, regained it, and went the distance for a 75-yard touchdown. So, um, again, he, you know, th- there'll be some, some issues. You know, these guys, there's a reason why they're ranked in the 300s. Like, there are, there are exactly, some questions, yeah. you know. Is he fast enough? Is he explosive enough? Um, you know, that, that's something we'll only know over time. He, he was a transfer from Northwestern, uh, played pretty well there. I didn't watch any of his film there, but his, he had decent numbers. So I think uh, Skowronek's a guy, and actually after watching him, you know, because I'll look these guys up, I'll look up their numbers, then I'll take the Twitter to see if there's any guys, you know, any analysts or draft guys who, who I respect who comment on them. And I believe it was uh, Daniel Jeremiah who tweeted out uh, – earlier this offseason, a clip of him just burying somebody as a blocker. You know, that same thing that was kind of jumping out. I, did, I hadn't seen this particular play, but I'd seen a few where he, he threw some really impressive blocks, and he just said, you know, it looks like this kid Scourneck, you know, kind, kind of enjoys his, his, the blocking aspect of his game, um, and he really does. So he was, a guy again, big target at 6'3", made some plays as a receiver, and uh, is a guy that if you've got him on the field, he, he's going to kind of match what – some some of the things the the Jets have added this offseason in being a receiver who can uh, is willing to bury some some defenders. So he's my first guy. Who do you got next, Dylan? Yeah, sticking with offensive playmakers, my second one is a running back out of Iowa State, and that's Kune Nuwangu. Uh, he has very limited production, only 143 career rushes. I believe that was over three or four seasons in college, but he's six foot, 212 pounds. And I have two sets of numbers on him and I'll read you the, the top set, which are quote unquote worst numbers, but he ran a four, three, one forty and a six, eight, three, three cone. So you put those together at the size that he is. And I don't think that the limited production should scare anybody away from taking a swing on this kid uh, late in the rounds. I was only able to watch one game on YouTube of him just, some cut up of, I think, against Oregon. But you see a little bit of the hesitation behind the line, but when he bursts through that hole, he he's going to make an 8, 10, 12-yard chunk play happen. So I really like what I saw out of Nuwangu. I've seen him on a couple boards. I didn't see him on this particular top 300, so I had to go to Dane Brugler's athletic guide to find him. Um, he's number 16 on his wider or running back ranking, so he's pretty far down there, and I believe it was a – sixth and seventh round grade on him yep so again just another playmaker with the athletic ability that shouldn't be passed up and let go to UDFA all right uh the next guy I'm going to highlight here is um a guy again I'd not seen at all until this past week and I sent you and Alex a couple clips of him because he just uh his his overall skill set was really impressive as a potential sort of fullback slash backup running back 
um, Garrett Groshek out of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen him before. He got 6'2", 6'3", 220. Uh, ran, I think, a 4'6", but he, to me, looks a lot faster than that. Good first step. And I, what really jumped out at me was a guy for his size and his feet. Like, he, the way he was, you know, he would hit the hole. There'd be defenders on the, on the ground. And he, you know, easily just, you know, quick feet, hop over them, keep going without breaking stride. And caught the ball really well, which surprised me. There was it was only one play, um, but of course, you know I, I didn't watch. I don't watch ten games on these guys. I watch you know depending on the player. If, if you see a ton of one guy in two games, I might watch two. But I try to do three or four games. Um, so I watched. I think I watched three of his games. Uh, saw him line up wide at wide receiver at one point and ran a slant uh, and was targeted. I think a better throw would have been a catch. So I'm looking at this guy. I'm thinking he's he's as big as a fullback. Uh, he plays halfback. They line him up at receiver, um, and and when you know when, when they hit him on swings and screens, like he shows soft hands, like he doesn't look awkward catching the ball, like I would expect a guy his size to. So I just I, and he looks like he'd be a good special teams player. So um, again, another guy I'd never heard of, and I'm just watching him and thinking I would love to see this guy in camp. Um, like I said, faster than he looks, better hands than I expected, better feet than I would expect for a guy who weighs 220, and another one who. Again, limited reps. He was Jonathan Taylor's backup in college for most of, most of his time there. Um, but he had a few games where when he got the carries, when he got the attempts, like he, he produced. He, the numbers were there. Um, because of his size, maybe he projects as a fullback. But uh, uh, Garrett Groshek is a guy that I, I'll be keeping an eye on because, uh, just, again, fun player to watch. Yeah, I remember watching some of those clips he sent in the the group chat we have and I came away impressed. I remember commenting. I was, I was really impressed about the one. I think he just hit the hole and didn't look back and he took it about 50, 60 yards to the house. Nobody was catching him. Um, But yeah, the the third person on my list is another running back as well. And this is somebody that I I wanted to ask Emery Hunt about. I saw him comment about him on Twitter a few days before he came on the show. And I meant to include him in my list. And that's uh, Elijah Mitchell from uh, Louisiana. Uh, he's number 229 on this board of 300 that I found. Uh, he's 5'10", 201. He ran a 43840, and he, re- he had a 10'9 broad jump, 37.5-inch vert, which 